Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. I carry in my pocket a reminder coin that has a few motivational sayings on it. Fortune favours the bold, and never give up, never surrender in Latin on one side, and on the other side, every man is the architect of his own fortune. The second phrase is really why I like the coin. I'm a big believer in creating the life you want for yourself and finding the bravery to chase your dreams, being the architect of your own fortune. I was looking at it earlier and I realized it applies to days gone. Fighting the hordes, using strategy and planning, you're the architect of your own sawmill run or Iron Butte victory. Finding the courage to take on hundreds of freakers with just a handful of napalm molotovs, proximity mines, the SMP9, the MG55, whatever your technique is, you have to create it, master it, and be fearless in its execution. All right, today I want to talk all about Ricky, and to help me do this deep dive into her character, I've invited a new guest onto the podcast. His name is Dan Izzo, he's a musician from Rhode Island, and of course, he's a self-described hardcore Days Gone addict. Hi Dan, welcome to the podcast, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, thank you for having me, and if I may, back to what you said about the being the architect in the beginning, mm-hmm. if you're anything like me, you had to pause the game and walk away for at least 10 seconds on the first horde. <laughs> Because I could not deal with it. Yeah, my first horde, oof, I think the uh, the Chimult horde was the first one that I really took on um, on my first playthrough. And I, I, yeah, I was panicked. Didn't know mm-hmm. what I was doing. I kind of sort of had a game plan. Like, obviously, it tells you the game, so it gives you that hint of, like, take out a few, run away, regroup, and then go back and attack them again. So I was kind of doing that. It took me an hour and a half. I think to mm-hmm. kill maybe yep. maybe slightly less than that but I did that stupid <clears throat> thing where the first time I got them down to about a third left I took out two-thirds of the horde and then I was driving around on the bike trying to like loot they were chasing me and I couldn't seem to get away and I went out of the playable area and it just went you are leaving the playable area goodbye and reloaded and I was like oh, oh, oh no. no wait <laughs> fuck <laughs> I was so mad I was so close and then I had to do it all again just start she reloads you back up there with Corey and I'm like oh my god I have to do all that again but it kind of worked my favor yeah the second time like i was slightly less afraid and slightly more prepared and then you eventually get to the sawmill and you realize your preparation was for nothing and you have to (laughs) find the courage all over it yes i think the the sawmill because i'd heard about the sawmill and i kind of knew it was coming i knew it was the biggest haunt and I knew it was a story mission, so I was kind of a little bit prepared for that. I think the one that really got me was the the Iron Butte horde, um, because when you have to go and get the 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 truck, uh, the fertilizer for the truck oh, bomb, yeah, yep, and yep. you go up there, and I I'd forgotten all about Iron Butte. I think I'd completely forgotten that that region even existed. And so I'm go- I'm up there. I'm like, where the fuck am I? Like, I don't even know this part <laughs> of the map. And then you just see there's a horde, and they will chase you forever they don't give up it's not like the sawmill where as soon as you leave kind of the area they they fuck off back to the little the little pit as i call it their little hideout hangout 
the Iron Butte Horde will chase you all across the countryside. And of course, every other freaker that's in the area is like, oh, hey guys, what are you doing? Oh, you're chasing someone? Can I join in? And they all just like swarm around you. There's no escape. It's just endless madness. And if I may, at that point in the game, thank God you hadn't come. Well, I don't know if you had yet, but there weren't any Reachers running into this horde. And thank God for that. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that would have been endgame for me. I know after the game was over, I did a horde where a couple of Reachers got into it and it was just absolute devastation. <laughs> just absolutely <laughs> terrible. Yeah, yeah. The The worst one is when, because I love just driving around after you finish the credits and, and just, you know, taking out the, all the hordes and just having fun in the world. And yeah, it, for some reason, like you seem to get more and more Reachers like after you're done with the story. Uh, maybe that's just my experience. I don't know. It might not be programmed that way, no, but you're, I feel like they, they kind right of gang up on you. <laughs> it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. In a good way, but terrible nonetheless. I was going to say, it's in a good way. And then when you get like three reaches and a screamer runs up and you're like, no, bitch, not today. Leave uh, me the fuck alone. <laughs> <laughs> then the last thing you need during all of this insanity is just for just all you need is one breaker to show up. And it's quite literally end game if you don't get out fast. Do the breakers fight the reachers? I don't think they fight, do they? Because the breakers will take out a horde I... and they'll take out the regular swarmers and freakers, but they, they don't, I don't think they fight reachers. I don't think I've ever seen it in the game. I'd be willing to bet though, if you go on YouTube, you'll probably find something where one of them dragged, well, a person dragged one to the other. Mm -hmm. Probably, maybe. I'm pretty sure I've seen that before, but never like myself playing in the game. I've never seen it. Yeah. And you've played the game how many times? Oh, God, I don't know. I lost count after like five or six. How many hours do you think you put in? Oh, God, I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, during the lockdown of 2020, we all had a massive amount of time on our hands. And that's where a lot of mine went. So, <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's well over a thousand hours. I can for sure say that. And you describe yourself as an addict. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just it's, it's all day, every day. I don't know. There's there's no. There's probably since I started watching and playing the game, there's not one day where I haven't played or watched. Like, it's just part of my daily routine. Like, it's before bed or in the morning or somewhere in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> I'm either playing or watching or reading or writing. I'm just insane like that. So I just can't get enough of it. It's crazy. Right. You mentioned writing. You took it upon yourself to write a sequel, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Yep. Yep. Tell me about that. Well... Long story short, after the article came out where they were like, essentially the sequel was shelved, I kind of went into like a mini meltdown <laughs> where I was just like <laughs> a petulant child stomping my feet around my bedroom like, this can't be. It's not fair. And so after maybe like a week of doing that, I, that's when I really got into the whole scene of it on Twitter where I started interacting with a lot of people <clears throat> who shared my same opinion on just the whole thing and it being nonsensical that it was canceled and not really having a lot of information. Cause obviously a lot of those guys who were involved can't speak. Cause a lot of them are still under like NDAs mm -hmm. and all sorts like that. So after ranting on Twitter for a few weeks, I was like, well, I know I can't like literally affect change and do this. I was like, but just for like my own sanity, I'm a writer. So I love to write whether it's music or just anything. I love writing. So I said, well, I'm just gonna get to writing a sequel. I'm just gonna, that's when I really seriously started digesting a lot more hours on the game because I just wanted to understand it <clears throat> from every angle and, you know, be able to think of every possible 
um, situation that could come from the storylines we all saw played out to the ending where you get the secret O'Brien ending and what that mm-hmm. could entail. So I just, I just want to, I just want to write, I love writing. So I just kind of got into it with a buddy of mine who knows about the game. And we talked about a lot of stuff in the parking lot where I work for like four <laughs> hours. And then I was like, all right, that sounds good. And I went home and worked on it. And I was like a mad scientist in the lab. I had the dry erase boards out and I closed the door, had the days gone soundtrack going. And I just got writing and that was pretty much it. That's awesome. Did you write it like a like a movie script or a, a, like a, it was going to be a game or, or what What was kind of the format for it? Probably more like a game. I tend to, when I write, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, I am terrible at script writing, which is funny because as human beings, we talk all the time. But the second you try and write dialogue, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like do I really it's, sound like this? Do I speak? It's not easy. <laughs> I sound dumb. So... I kind of wrote it as just like one giant story. And then from there, I started kind of like tinkering with it where I'm like, okay, it's kind of like a giant, like I'm in my head, it's a movie. So from there, I was like, all right, I got to like play with it and see where you have to like create these scenarios where it's like, okay, it's not a movie, it's a game. So we have to understand what the gamer should, like what the gamer would experience in terms of cutscenes, and then what they'd actually play through. So I think that's probably been the biggest challenge working on it because the stories, I mean, yeah, it's really good and really solid, but working on the, like, if it would be gameplay or um, cutscene material is where it's been a bit more challenging. And I mean, it really makes you realize how incredible, you know, the people who do work on these things are, what they do. And obviously they have massive teams of people that they all work together. And, but, you know, you have to tip your cap to the guys that created this game because, you know, between story, you know, obviously all the incredible graphics that are in it from all the beautiful surroundings of Oregon and everything like that. There's just so much goes into it. And I just have so much um, respect for, you know, the guys that guys and gals that made this game and uh, anyone who designs games and works on them. It's really a incredible feat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting you say that you, you kind of in writing the sequel, you were also replaying the game a lot and, and like getting into it and looking for all those little clues about things that they might be setting up and, and all the character detail. That's, I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing with the podcast. Like I started this podcast after I played the game twice. And I, I, I will admit the early episodes of this podcast, I've made a lot of mistakes. I, I've said things that aren't quite factually correct and had to go back and like look at it again and like correct myself. Mm. And, you know, because yeah. you can't, it's such a huge world and there are so many tiny details, you can't hold them all in your head. And that's what I like doing these kind of, these episodes where we do these deep dives into the characters because I, I get to sit there and I, I go through it and I, you know, research everything and I have the art book so I can look up like additional information um, and just really try to like piece all of the tiny little clues together. It's just so Absolutely. fascinating to see how many there are in the game. <clears throat> that art book, the, the uh, excuse me, the art book had to be one of the most. I mean, one of the best purchases I've made. If you just when you go through it, I mean, it's immense. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, actually it's, it's the, one of the best art books I've ever seen. I have I collect yeah. art books for video games. Um, all the video games I love, I have the the art books for them. And yeah, this is by far the best one because it has all of the the written material which often they don't have they might have like a little bit but it's more just concept art um Mm -hmm. and they're great but this one actually has like useful information like for example i was looking through it last night prepping for this episode and there's a, a concept drawing of ricky and her last name is written in as alvarez yeah yep 
yeah, really interesting. Yeah, like before yeah. they got her ethnicity, which I assume maybe came <clears> from the actress uh, that they chose to portray her. Um, and they probably had to, you know, change the the ethnicity or, or maybe it came from another decision. I don't know. But it's interesting that her last name is Alvarez. And then Alvarez is the name that's used for the the woman at the beginning that Leon murders. Yes. Yeah. So it's cool that they just kind of like kept that, but moved it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's it really is incredible when you look through everything. And <clears throat> some of some of the original concept art is just it's it's crazy to look at. Like, I think the the original Deacon and Boozer artwork had me I was dying laughing. Like when you got the um <laughs> original the original Deacon work with the the sunglasses and Oh yeah, where he looks like he's <laughs> Bon Jovi or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hysterical. But I mean it was I don't know, it's it's you know, a lot of the times, like whether it's a movie or music or anything, a lot of the times you hear that it's being made and then you see the finished product. So I think it's really awesome when you can see everything yeah. that it was before it was, you know, what it was when you got it. to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I one of the things I do, I'm a screenwriter, so I'm always like working behind the scenes on projects. And it's amazing how many how many drafts I had to have to write, how many iterations of things, how many things get changed along the way. And that's just like for a movie or for a TV show, for a game that takes years to produce, like they're actively producing it for years, like a movie you shoot in about a month. And maybe, you know, right. there's like prep yep. and there's you know special effects are done afterwards and things like that it takes a long time but it doesn't take how long was days gone six years i believe in the making yeah i think six or seven yeah yeah so yeah i'm sure they came up with stuff along the way you know world events happen where i mean the me too movement happened during that so maybe i don't know if they had like a shift in how they portray i mentioned in the previous episode how they portray rape and sexual assault in the game it's mm -hmm. very very it's like present a little bit but it, you really have to like look for the clues they really don't they're not explicit with it and i don't know why they chose to do that i'm glad they chose to do that i'm not going to speak for ben and say you know oh it's because of the me too movement like i have no idea but you, right, you well, it could certainly be. could be a possibility you're right yeah you're right because you know, big world changing things happen over a six-year period and they've got to affect the thing that you're creating because we are as creators we are influenced by the world around us and the things that are going on they they permeate our art i couldn't i couldn't agree with that more yeah it, it starts out as one thing and if it's something you're working on you know for any extended period of time i mean you can't help but have life events um shape the things you're working on so i, I can imagine i mean if you could sit down with john garvin or any of those guys and have like a serious which by the way I pray to God you can get them on this podcast because that I'm, would be... I'm working on it. <laughs> a, a plus Trying. plus. If anyone who's involved in the game, anyone who works at Bend or any of the actors or anyone at all that is associated with Days Gone, if they would like to come onto the podcast, please let me know. I would love to have you know people who were involved in the creation of this wonderful game. I would love to talk to anyone. So just on the off chance, just putting it out there. Sam Whitwer, looking at you. If you're listening, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> Please come on the podcast. Please. The fans need to hear your voice. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into Ricky because she is one of the central characters at Lost Lake. And for me, Lost Lake is kind of where the story really gets going. I see her as being like an integral part of Deacon's story and of our experience of the game. 
Um, so she she's a friend of Deacon's from sometime before we start playing the game. There's mention that she rode with him and Boozer early on after everything went to shit. And I went through the mission logs, you know, the kind of diary entries that Deacon adds to the mission descriptions after you've completed them. I don't think yes. many people know that they're there, uh, but they add a lot of detail to the story and, and kind of build Deacon's point of view. And there's a couple clues I got from there about how Ricky and Deacon know each other and, and kind of when and like the timeline. So they rode together in Tumalo a couple months after everything went to shit. And they were part of a group of about a dozen people. And they were riding down Highway 97 through Tumalo. So they were further north, riding mm -hmm. south. And uh, the highway was, was still uh, pretty open early on. This was before everything got kind of like blown up and kind of clogged up. But I just thought that was interesting that they were further north. Uh, thinking about Boozer's idea of like, we got to go north. You know, that's at the beginning of the game. He has that whole plan of like, we'll ride north, we'll, uh, you know, get our shit together and we'll go in a few days. And I always wondered, why north? Like, where are they? Why, why and where are they going? Like, how far north? I think there's a lot to explore there, to be honest with you. I thought about, <clears throat> I thought about that a couple of times um, when I was playing through a couple of the times in the middle I played. Um, because you figure if they were up north together, that means they have history up there which is interesting because Boozer is very adamant about wanting to get away from where they are because of the history there. Right. So it's very interesting like to fresh think. fresh start somewhere you know. new. Right, right. So it wouldn't necessarily be fresh, but, well, it'd be fresh for us to see. But yeah, it is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I mean, kind of like a fresh start for Deacon, like, because this whole area is, well, I guess it is sort of like he, because he wants him to, to, Boozer wants Deacon to get away, I think, from, from the dark memories that Deacon has, the dark thoughts that Deacon has. You know, it's like, it's Sarah's grave or her her memorial stone. And I don't know where Farewell is. It must be pretty close to our region that we're playing in. Um, I'm not entirely sure exactly where it's supposed to fit in relation to the map, but obviously we have Cloverdale where Sarah worked is right there. So mm -hmm. you feel like this is, and they meet in Belknap. So this is obviously their, their home turf. Oh, and the church, of course, in Marion Forks, the church where they got married. Mm -hmm. So farewell and, and wherever they lived, it must've been really close. So for me, I always read it as Boozer wants to get Deacon away from where he has all of these, these memories and these ties and the sentimentality. And it's kind of like, let me get you out of here so we can go somewhere where you're not going to be thinking of Sarah at every single turn because he knows that Deacon has to move on and he has to, to somehow get through his grief and come out the other side. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I mean, to think about it too, I guess, you know, for what it's worth, we're not really sure on how far north Boozer was referring to. So, I mean, it could have been past where they Mm -hmm. you know, originally where they could have been going north, north, but no, that's a hundred percent right. He, he for sure wanted to get him. Cause I mean, you remember in the beginning of the game, Deacon's like a hardcore monster. Mm -hmm. Like he's crazy. So him, be, you know, them being best friends and brothers, I can imagine, you know, he was just like, well, we can go somewhere else. At least we won't be, you know, especially him won't be haunted by um, all the places, you know, before the shit went down where they used to work and live and, you know, exist mm -hmm. in a semi-normal world. So I can understand, you know, him wanting to get him out of there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Ricky. So she rode with them for a couple months to this area and they discovered Lost Lake. 
and she decided to join Lost Lake. And obviously we get this idea that Deacon and Boozer kind of joined for a little while, but then they got kicked out because Deacon was working for Tucker and I Mike has a problem with Tucker basically being a slaver. Aside from obviously Deacon just getting tossed out of Lost Lake, he obviously, he, he, he's not a camp kind of person. He kind of doesn't really want to be in a camp. But Ricky decided to settle there. She was kind of the driving force for settling at Lost Lake. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, I have to imagine if she was riding with Boozer and Deacon for any extended period of time, I have to imagine their lifestyle and the way you kind of see into it very little in the beginning of the game, it was pretty rough and rugged and probably lonely a lot of times because Deacon wasn't speaking too much to her from what I can understand. He was very... He was always kind of on that lone wolf status. Boozer's an interesting character where you can imagine maybe they got on a little bit with each other, but I don't know, just being with them two up in the Cascade area, I think I also at some point would have been like, get me out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> there has to be something else. Like, so, And then you get to Lost Lake and it's like, yeah, this looks good. I think I'm gonna stay here. Yeah. This looks all right. Especially after being with Mike, she's got this whole, we can fix things and we can build this back up and we can, you know, overcome. And I can't imagine there was a lot of the, we can overcome and be better going on uh, being with Deacon and Boozer all the time. So Ricky is definitely determined to restore civilization. I mean, the whole storyline that we go through with the power plant and getting the transformer fix and getting power back on at Lost Lake. I mean, that is huge to have someone Mm -hmm. who has the ability to go into a hydro plant and know how to fix it. I mean, I I couldn't do that. I know my way around a toolkit, but I don't think I could do that. I don't think most people could do that. Um, no, never in a million years. Yeah, right. So not, I not a I, chance. I really like how useful she is. Um, but I love how she she's optimistic. You know, she is she she's like Iron Mike in that way that she sees a future that in which things are better. And things can be restored. And we can, you know, if we work together, we can get the lights back on. She can get her hot shower, you know, which is just, if you think about how gross you feel after not showering for like a few days, and then realize it's probably been Mm. a couple years since they showered. uh, I can only imagine. I don't want to imagine. Yeah, (laughs) right. And you've never, you haven't washed your hair. (laughs) You got to feel so gross and so removed from your life and your ability to just feel good about yourself and not to mention you know living out in the shit it's literally a world i say this every time it's it's a world that is constantly trying to kill you um Mm -hmm. there is no safety there is no reprieve um there is no steady food source there is no safe place to sleep um deacon actually makes a comment in those mission logs that there is no sex out in the shit uh he it's quote there's no time to think about that. You can't get caught with your pants down. Mm. Um, that is something so, Deacon would say, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like, and, and there's actually a mention. The reason he brings it up is he mentions seeing Ricky uh, when she takes her clothes off to jump into the water. Mm-hmm. And it and it's kind of like a response to that of like, he's actually seen her naked tons of time, but it's in no way sexual because you, that just doesn't exist. You can't, you literally can't spend the time to get a little sexy with someone like it's just no because if you drop your guard for a second a freak is going to come up and kill you that's all it would take too that i mean what a terrifying world to have to live in like if you consider if it was real my god yeah 
Yeah, so of course you you roll up on Lost Lake, which is the best camp. I mean, Iron Mike is a, a great leader, and, and if she's already someone who is kind of idealistic, and then, hey, here's Iron Mike, who's also an idealist and, and has this sort of plan for civilization, and he has a base with cabins, and it's protected by water and the marsh, and they just have that one bridge that they've built the fence for and everything, and I mean, why the hell wouldn't you stay there? Not even a second thought. I can tell you, like, I don't know how everyone else feels about it who's played the game, but I've talked to a couple of people and they tend to lean that way. I, we're obviously we're not we're not living the game. It's not like real, real, but like just playing it, I feel the safest when I'm at Lost Lake. Yeah. Like, so I can imagine, like, if it were a real thing, if you show up somewhere like that, it's like, yeah, no, I'm not going back. I'm staying here. We'll fix things here. Yeah. We can figure it out. I'm not going back. You know, there's one thing I've noticed about the camps is each of them has a slightly different lighting effect. So at, at Copeland's camp, it always feels kind of twilight-ish, you mm -hmm. know, because it has, I mean, obviously it rains there a lot, but you have the tree cover and the camp itself always feels like muddy and dark and a little bit cold and a little bit wet and like a kind of, it's always a cloudy day there. And then at Hot Springs, it always feels a little bit too hot and I, I feel a bit sweaty and stinky and dusty and everything's dry and, and the sunlight is really bright there at Lost Lake it has a little bit of a golden glow to it. It's like mm -hmm. that more perfect, calm, you know, late afternoon, not too hot, not too cold. You know, it's not really ever windy there. I mean, it does snow sometimes, uh, but it never feels uninviting. I think truthfully, it feels like home when you're playing it. Like Lost Lake, yeah. like whenever I play, that's where I always finish and save is at Lost Lake. I usually don't, like I'll go all around the map and do whatever else, but... <clears throat> Lost Lake has that genuine home feel where, like you said, you've got these other places on the map that are kind of, they have their own, like literally, like literally their own um, feel and atmosphere, if you will. Mm -hmm. Copeland's camp is for sure like the poster child for seasonal depression. <laughs> like, just like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <you know? laughs> there is no sun. It just seems like it's always raining, which I think Deacon makes mention of right in the beginning of the game. He does. He says, Why yeah. is it always raining? <laughs> It's like, Deke, you've lived here for years. Surely you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Oregon. Doesn't it always rain? <laughs> um, so speaking of Lost Lake, so I and Mike and Ricky, they have, I don't know if how much this is in the game, but it feels like they have a kind of father-daughter dynamic. You know, she's there at his bedside when he dies. It, it just feels like they have a really strong connection. And it seems like, obviously, he trusts her. He respects her. But I thought it was odd that she's never in any of the important camp decision meetings and scenes, you know, like the ones with Schizo and with Deacon. I'm like, why isn't she there? Yeah, that was always a bit perplexing to me, like me as well. I, for the life of me, I don't know why, like, obviously it's a game, but like why Schizo was ever there in any sort of important role to make a decision. I was like, who the hell would trust this guy? Like, and I know like the whole like thing is like, oh, Iron Mike's a pacifist, but like, he's not an idiot. Mm. There's no way he gets a good vibe from Schizo that just, it can't be. But I have a little theory about that because I'm I'm like hashtag team schizo and I know I know everyone gives me shit for it. I know I actually I like him as a character for what he does in the story. And I like his depth as a villain. I mean, yes, he's a villain. Oh, no, he's, he, a bad he's, guy. A, he's a great villain. He's great. Yeah. But that's why I like him because he's a good villain. Like I actually was a little bit convinced by him when he's doing the whole Iron Mike's going to get everyone killed with his treaty with the Rippers. And I, I, I mean, he's not wrong. 
Uh, I mean, I guess Schizo does end up (laughs) bringing the Rippers on them himself. But like, even if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't sold out Deacon and Boozer, the Rippers weren't going to fucking respect that treaty. No fucking way. No, never. Especially once, you know, you find out, especially once you find out in the game that Carlos was actually Jesse. Right. And that they had history and that they knew Deacon and Boozer were at Lost Lake. It would have, you're right. The treaty was, it yeah. was bullshit. It was never going to hold. So my, my kind of theory as to why people don't see through Schizo, uh, why the other characters in the game don't see through him is because it's kind of twofold. First of all, I mean, he, he does speak the truth. He's, I don't think he's purposefully trying to be a bad guy. I think he genuinely is a realist, whereas Iron Mike is an idealist. And he just he he has he comes from a background where he's kind of in an aggressive environment where it's us versus them that's his mentality it's me versus you us versus them who's going to stab who in the back first because we know it's going to happen like that's just schizo's view of the world um but i i've known a couple people kind of like schizo who have that ability to kind of weasel their way and like talk people around they talk a big game and then you know i'm sitting there like why are people listening to you? You're you're a douchebag. You're a bro. Like I see through <laughs> you. Why does no one else see through you? And I think the reason why we the players see through him is because Deacon and Ricky see through him, and Deacon especially is our view into the world. I think Addy, uh, or maybe not Addy, but like Iron Mike, you know, and like obviously Schizo's goons and like whoever else is kind of in this world, I think they don't necessarily see through Schizo because they are the kind of people who who maybe just haven't been paying attention to the things that, that Deacon's been paying attention to and that is drawing our attention to him. So I think it's like a lens point of view thing that we are given the full, like, oh yeah, this guy, we know, he, he's he's a douchebag but i think some of the other characters are kind of suckered by him and it just goes to show when you get um south of the mountains the colonel i mean he's immediately suckered by schizo and but schizo is fucking good that whole little when he turns on deacon the second time and is like oh check his back for the tattoo it's like a hellhound and and you know and he's like describes it in kind of religious terms because very quickly he's recognized that the colonel is religious and and kind of like speaks a lot about good versus evil. And he wants to, he, Schizo is so smart, he immediately knows, I need to paint Deacon as some sort of like devil worshiper or something like that and use that to get the colonel on my side and against Deacon. Yeah, I think you're right. I, you know what it is? I think you said it best. He's smart. People like that are smart. They're the worst human beings, but they're smart. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing you can't take away from them. They'll they'll put on uh, whatever mask they have to put on to um, persuade or manipulate a, any given situation, which which makes it interesting because you were saying we see it through the lens of Deacon. Like, I almost wonder, like, if you were to have, like, an infinite amount of gameplays where you could play through as Iron Mike or play through as, like, I just wonder, like, if the dialogue in the cutscenes would feel different if you were listening to Schizo through Iron Mike's lens. Like, right. actually, like, if it was written that way. I also think Iron Mike is kind of smart <clears throat> to have someone like Schizo as his, I guess, kind of right-hand man, in a way, because Iron Mike is is not a pacifist. He's called a pacifist, but he's not. I call him an idealist, that he has the sort of 
grand idea of rebuilding civilization. But speaking as an idealist myself, like I know that sometimes you can't get your plans to come together without the help of other people and 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 making compromises. And as an idealist, it's hard to make compromises to get your ideal vision into the real world. You need a realist. And that's exactly what Schizo is. So I think they actually make a good team. If you take out the betrayal part of Schizo, yeah. <laughs> if you could somehow turn that down, he would actually be, some of the, his other qualities would actually make him a great right-hand man. And I think that's why Iron Mike put him in that position. And I was going to, I don't think Iron Mike trusts him necessarily. I think Iron Mike is smart enough that maybe he does see it, see through it too, but he knows Schizo is useful and he does care about Lost Lake. He does have an investment in making sure Lost Lake survives until he doesn't. But, you know, for the, at the beginning, that's what he wants to do. So why not have someone like Schizo in a position of authority where he is given a reason to protect the camp and to make it work. You're absolutely right. And I have to imagine that with all that being said, they must have, like if you could imagine like more cutscenes or more um, detail, they must have balanced each other brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Even though there was no real trust, the balance between them, because like you said, the idealist versus realist, it, I mean, it works in real life, right? So it's kind yeah. of, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's the, it's the balance. Um, so let's talk about, <laughs> speaking of Schizo, let's talk about, his um more overtly negative aspects he is a known peeping tom (laughs) and he was like spying on ricky and addy and he spies on um ricky and deacon when you first get to lost lake and you're kind of sneaking in you know you have to sneak in through the bushes and and uh try to get the antibiotics for boozer you overhear all of the goons sort of talking about or a couple of people i guess talking about how Schizo has the hots for Ricky. And it makes me wonder, is that why uh, he's threatened by Deacon? Maybe because, you know, Deacon comes in and, and immediately, you, you know, Ricky and Deacon know each other. We know there's no history, but maybe Schizo is just jumping to conclusions and being like, oh, fuck, this is like, you know, her ex-boyfriend or something. And now he's sniffing around, coming back again. And maybe that's why he doesn't like him. That's probably exactly why, amongst other reasons, but that's probably exactly why. That's a, tell me, well, the whole thing is too, is like, I think we've all known someone in our lifetime like Schizo. I've known a few Schizos, which is probably why we all hate him as much as we do. Right. We all project but, our own experiences. Yeah. Like, I knew that guy. I went to high school with that guy. You know, it's like, we all know a Schizo. And I think they all kind of have that big bark, little confidence kind of. Mm-hmm complex and i'm sure you know with him having feelings for ricky you have someone like deacon ride in and the jealousy flares up and but we're males we're flawed (laughs) (laughs) now we find out later on in the game we find that shit list that schizo has one of the collectibles that kind of basically spells out that he had a bunch of people disappeared and had you deacon go after the people who uh, maybe murdered the first part of the list. So it's like he's he's just sort of engineering so much um, death and disappearance of people that are in his way. And I I wonder, obviously, you know, he really wants Ricky, but at what, what would it take or at what point would that sour 
into Schizo realizing he's not going to get Ricky. She's not fucking interested in a man like him. And she is so strong and so in with Iron Mike and obviously in with Deacon. What would it take for Schizo to decide to make her disappear? Probably not much. Do you think it would ever get that far? Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. People uh, people like Schizo, that character, they just, it's all about the win in their head, whatever it takes, um, no matter what the situation is. I can, I mean, I can see the side of it. I'll say, no, I think if he, you know, cared about her enough, he wouldn't do that. But I'm not really sure. I think he cares more about his ego, probably more than he cares about like genuinely other people. Like he might have moments, but um, to sit here and think about it, I don't think there would have been a second thought if it would have came down to him having to get rid of her. I don't think he would have thought twice about it mm. at all. And again, I could be wrong, but yeah, I mean, it just, I guess it depends on the circumstance. Yeah. That's really what it would be. I can imagine he would have probably wanted to get, I think what would have been interesting is if, well, this would have torpedoed the whole game, but like, imagine like he hands Deacon over to the rippers, the rippers kill him. And then he would have went back to his thing trying to go with Ricky. And I guess that's where you'd have to wonder, like if Deacon wasn't in the picture, would he have continued to pursue? And if that was the case, if the rejection kept coming, would he have also put her on that list? And yeah, I think it's a possibility. That's for sure. Yeah. Just super gross to think about. Yeah. He's just kind of, he just kind of leaves a bad, I just talking about him. I just get kind of like, ugh. <laughs> All right, let's change it. Let's talk about Deacon. Let's talk about Ricky and Deacon's relationship. Um, for me, kind of one of the the defining moments of the entire game uh, was the the ride up to the the power plant and the mm. whole um, kind of sequence around that, where she talks about lighting a candle, and after they get through turning the power back on, she kind of confronts him about that night when they were out in the shit, and he stayed awake all night looking at a photo of Sarah, and she kind of tells him not to live in the past. You know, I kind of see that as like, she is another, another attempt. Like Boozer is trying to, to, to get him to, to kind of move on in a way. Like she's doing the same thing. She sort of sees the damage that he's doing to himself. And, you know, Boozer is kind of worried that Deacon's going to end up getting himself killed or, or, and then, you know, get someone hurt, which obviously happens with Boozer's arm. And I think, Ricky is kind of maybe more worried about him emotionally, um, you know, and just like trying to get him to 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 kind of move forward. And like her whole thing about rebuilding, it's like, okay, this shit has happened. Now let's move forward and look to the future. I think she would have been completely happy with the building into the future with him. I think there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, if things progress a certain way and there was, you know, if Sarah was theoretically not alive, I think for sure she would have been happy um, to be with him at Lost Lake, you know, together. And, and you have to wonder sometimes, you know, in the game, if Deacon might've been thinking the same thing himself at times. Mm -hmm. There is the mention in the mission logs that at the beginning, he says he has no feelings for Ricky. He's very adamant, but then very quickly that stance starts to soften and when he radios Ricky from Cloverdale, he comments that it was good hearing her voice. And I, it's like, okay, do you mean it's good yeah, to hear her voice? Like, was... it's good to hear Boozer's voice, like, as friends? Or maybe something more? It's a good possibility, though, something more. Because I'll tell you, that, that the whole sequence from 
well, you obviously see them get a lot closer while he's at Lost Lake. And then he ends up finding out, you know, from O'Brien that Sarah had the clearance level and that she was at um, the militia camp on Wizard Island and all that stuff. Then he heads out there and obviously they had that exchange before they left. And you get to the, it was so interesting. You get to Wizard Island and you finally find Sarah. And I'm like, this is going to be like the most like emotional thing in the world. And it kind of was, but then like the missions after that with her, you're kind of like, wow, I'm not feeling the love. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like that cold, hard, callous kind of like thing between them. And obviously you get a better glimpse into it when you get to read the, um, the lab notes mm-hmm. from Sarah. So, and then obviously you get through these missions and you get to that one where you're at Cloverdale and he's talking to Ricky on the radio. And I don't know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I think there was a point where he might have considered it more with Ricky because I, I think in some of those missions, when you find Sarah... He kind of has like these realizations that like this ain't the same Sarah. Right. Like that old Sarah's dead. And he kind of like makes these comments, like like especially like that scene where um she's just, you know, was it when she kills Jim and these other scenes where she kills that little horde that gets on her when he's trying to get into the building where he's like, I don't know, like who the hell you are. And yeah. I don't know. It was just weird. I I could imagine, you know when he was talking around the radio, um, Ricky, that is at Cloverdale, I think he probably genuinely did miss her. Mm-hmm. And then he makes the the comment about, you know, lighting the one candle and it's, yeah, it's heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love that whole light a candle little speech. Yeah. That's brilliant. Isn't it? That's great. So good. Um, so interestingly, when, when Ricky does the thing about don't live in the past about the photo of Sarah in the mission logs, Deke writes that Ricky's wrong about him. I'm not living in the past. I just don't want to forget. Which I think is really mm. poignant. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a beautiful point. I think to anyone who's ever lost anyone that they've loved, that's like I mean that's a real thing. Yeah. Like I, I lost my mother last year and, you know, I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, you know, there's so many times where like I think about her and, you know, like I ended up, um, my sister was showing me this video um, of when they went on vacation and it was the first time I had heard my mother's voice like on video since oh. she'd passed away. And I was like, it's so weird to think like I'm hearing her voice on the TV, but I'm like, that's not how she sounds like in my head. And, you know, you, you think about these things and you want to, you know, it's a great point to make where you don't want to forget and lose the memories. And sometimes, you know, with, um, everyday life and things that happen, especially in a post-apocalyptic world, you can imagine mm-hmm. you could forget a lot very easily. And I always believed that about Deacon. Like I never thought he was like, while I was playing and watching, I never thought he was like this, like insane, like refusing to it. Like, like I feel like a lot of people in the game characterize him as like, you just need to accept what happened. And he was kind of like, yeah, no, I, I get what happened, but that's not my problem here. And him talking about now on to you know forget and lose the memory like i i totally think that's right and i'd have to say you know you know i agree with him yeah on that point yeah i'm sorry to hear about your mom oh no no worries at all thank you so much i appreciate it yeah but i think you're you're right it's um it, it there is a difference between you know like like she says like don't live in the past and he's like well that's i'm not trying to do that i'm just trying to preserve the memories because that shit is important and like mm-hmm. he is on this prep like he does in the first part of the game he does come to say i know she's dead i think he says it to boozer like i know i know she's dead 
it just but stop pushing me to accept it because he doesn't want to let go he's not ready to let go just because she's not here anymore it doesn't mean that he has to move on the problem is he's he's kind of trapped in it like the grief and the inability to move forward is not helping him and it's putting him at risk and it's putting Boozer at risk and it's putting Ricky at risk. It's putting a lot of people that he loves at risk. That's kind of what they're trying to do, why they're trying to get him to move on. But that's, you know, that's to be expected in the world that they're in because you don't have time oh, without question. to process the grief. And you don't have things like you said about a video of your mom and like you, we can rewatch videos and and look at photos and and talk to people you know like you said you talk to your sister like you can share memories who the fuck has deacon got i mean i guess he's got boozer but it's not like the they sit around the campfire and you know <laughs> live up stories about no, the past no, no, like no. they're not that kind of <laughs> they're not that kind of bros like that's not what they're doing no, no, it's, no. deacon is on his own he's staring at the one photo he has of the woman he loves and he does it after everyone else has gone to sleep and he thinks no one can see him. I just think that that says something. That says something about the world and it says something about Deacon. No, it, it definitely does. Yeah. So just living in that world, no, it's a great point though. I was just gonna say, no, it's a great point where where we have time we have time to think about things and go over them in that world where it's kill or be killed almost every part of the day. It would just be for them wanting him to accept more for the sake of like their own safety. It makes perfect sense, obviously. Yeah. So Deke comments in his mission log that he always feels that he owes Ricky. That, you know, she takes in Lisa. She helps hold Boozer down with his operation. She also helps um, stand up for Deacon and Boozer with Iron Mike. She helps him get uh, Boozer into the camp and get the antibiotics. Um, I just think that's that's an interesting way of... That he defines their relationship in a way of, like, she's always helping me out. And it made me wonder, like, what is she trying to do for Deacon? Um, obviously, you know, the light and the candle moving on with his grief. But, like, why is she so invested in helping him move on? Is it for him? Because they only rode together for a little while. I mean, sure, maybe they're close. Or is it for selfish reasons? Is it because she's got the hearts for him? Or maybe she loves him or whatever. Like, where do you feel her motivation comes from? I actually think it's both to be honest with you. I think I know that's a it seems like a easy answer to give, but I, I do I do believe it's both. I think she's a gen like genuinely a good person. Like you you know, when you're playing the game you get that vibe. She's just a good person and she's willing in a positive way, unlike Schizo to do whatever it takes to, you know, get the job done and help. But, you know, I also believe she was for sure romantically motivated right. with him. I think it's 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 a bit of both. And I can imagine in a world like that where, you know, there is no dating apps. There is no <laughs> There's bars no Tinder to go out in the shit. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. There's no swipe right or left. You kind of, you know, um, around a limited selection of people. I can imagine if you have feelings for a person and they are alive, and presumably not the worst person in the world. I can imagine, you know, you wanting to stay close to that person more so than you would say if it was just normal life. Yeah, and, and think about Lost Light doesn't have that many people at it, so. Out of all the people you meet on a daily basis, how many of those people do you like? Do you want to spend time with? Do you have anything in common with? And do you, you do they enjoy your company as well? Like that, 
just in our world, that is going to be a small list. It is hard to find people that you connect with um, and that you want to spend time with and think like push that forward into the post-apocalypse where it's just a very lonely world. I can only imagine because especially in that world, you need they need each other out of necessity where if you or I are getting aggravated with whoever else and having all, it's like, I'm just going to go home or go wherever. There is no doing that and they need each other to mm-hmm. survive. So it's like whether you hate each other or like each other. Yeah, it, it would be very lonely. I can imagine, especially if you have no like, which is why I think it's even like it's deeper for the fact that they know each other because they know each other. They have a um, personal relationship and a bond. <laughs> And people like that, I can imagine in a world like that, like you just wouldn't want to like imagine like when you went to like high school and like the kids from like another school also like when you finally all merge together from the other schools in high school, mm-hmm. you just want to stick with people, you know, all the time. And if you had to just be thrown into the group with people you've never met before, it would be horribly uncomfortable. Right. And you'd be, you know, miserable if you're any sort of an introvert and then you take it to the extreme and like a world like days gone, it would be like. Anyone I personally knew, whether they were the worst or the best, I'd be like, at least I know you. Please don't leave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of relationships, let's get into Addie. Because Ricky, there's sort of a little bit of a clue in the mission logs that Ricky chose to stay at Lost Lake because of Addie and because of her her relationship there. Um, But she tells Deacon that it's an open relationship. Like, ah, we're not that serious. And, you know, you and me, we can hook up because Addie won't mind. And, you know, we get a lot of clues that maybe that's not true. <laughs> or at least no, definitely Addie's not. not. <laughs> it's like, does she know that it's an open <laughs> relationship? I don't think so. Do you think Ricky came up with that line kind of in the moment to like, she just has decided, like, I just really want to get with Deacon. And I know that he's going to say, hey, but you're in a relationship, so I just need to lie, basically, and say, no, no, it's fine. It's an open relationship. Or do you think she genuinely sees the relationship as being less serious than Addie sees it? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, once again, I could say it could be both. I can tell you one thing for sure, unless there's stuff, obviously, we don't know because we're not the writers, but Addie for sure does not speak with her or interact with her as though they were just like hookup buddies or in a like there's you know if you you know when you play the game and listen to any of you know the conversation it's like yeah no this isn't a game for addy definitely mm-hmm. not she's serious about it and yeah. ricky like you said she's kind of got that nonchalant like no 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 it's not that serious it's open relationship i mean in the moment she could have been telling deacon that to try and um get his guard down and disarm him and have them have an intimate uh, moment together but she could also genuinely in her i think like we're in the shit like there's no like regular like we're not going to you know to, uh, we're not like taking our relationship to the next level we're not going to get engaged we're not going to the wedding planners we're not going here and they're like this is a different world and maybe she perceives it as just like yeah we're together but you know who's really together out here mm. so to speak so yeah, kind of maintaining could be that. a little bit of distance because you never know when someone's going to die. I mean, like Ricky's Addie stays yeah, in the camp, that would, but that Ricky's would be a tough thing, yeah. she's going out all the time. Um, so at a certain point, you've got to, you've either got to fully commit to someone and then be devastated if slash when they die, 
or someone like Addie, I feel like maybe she does have a little bit of a wall up where she doesn't perhaps want to admit how much she likes someone because if they do die, then you're 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 fucked. You know, you're opening yourself up to too mm. much emotion. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's enough in the game to really kind of speak to where they're at. Um, but there is the interesting moment where Ricky and Deacon come back from a mission, and Addie is like just you know kind of like really fucked off with Ricky, really annoyed that that she's been out. And the first few times you play it. I always read that scene of like, oh, you're out with Deacon. I know what's going on. I know that you, you've got a connection and you're vibing and something's going on. But in Deacon's comments, he he makes a, a comment that Addie isn't a jealous type. And I was like, ooh, okay, so what is going on there? And I realized that Addie is probably just worried about Ricky being out in the shit. It's kind of one of those situations where it, it's like she's been out all day did something happen are you okay like mm -hmm. and then she just rolls in like nothing's nothing's wrong and she's like oh i don't fucking know why you're worried about me and it's like well you could have called you could you got radios you could have called and let yeah. me know you're I'm okay. over the radio anything yeah like i'm here on my like stuck in lost like all fucking day i can't leave and you're out there in the shit and i don't know what's happened to you like, I think that's maybe more the vibe. Like, Addie is more, like, really worried about Ricky. It's not that she's jealous. It's that she's just worried about about Ricky. And, and it's annoying how nonchalant Ricky is. Like, oh, it's fine. Like, dude, calm down. Yeah, she she's always, that's, yeah, that really is how she is. But that, that actually makes a lot of sense. I actually didn't really think of it, like, that way. That's actually a really good point, that she would be, out all day and then because that is ricky right she just rolls up what's the big deal i was out with deke we were fixing the fixing dam the and doing whatever yeah. and she's just like you could have called you could have called said something it's just you know so yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah probably was more worried more than anything but she's hardcore Addy. she's like we don't get a lot of her but she's like for sure like i love her as a character mm -hmm. she's great it's yeah i would love to get more of her i'll say that i feel like all of those moments in the game, like there's so many of those little relationship moments that don't spell it out, but they feel so real. I always talk about the characters in this game feeling real. And I feel like just being worried about someone being out all day and then mad that they didn't call. I mean, all of us have been on one or both ends <laughs> of that conversation. I mean, how many times, like when Too you're a times. kid, like a teenager and your parents are like, oh, you're home late and you, you should have called, you should have texted, you know, it's constant. Like that is something that, that happens in all relationships, you know, sexual relationships, romantic relationships, uh, you know, parent-child relationships, like all, all the time we're constantly like worried about the other person and, and mad that they didn't check in or frustrated that the other person is worried about us and mad we didn't check in. <laughs> like it's just so real and so normal and then you add a zombie apocalypse to it and it's like, oh, fuck, suddenly this is a big <laughs> fucking deal that you were out all day and didn't call. You could literally be dead in a ditch right now when <laughs> the freak is eating your corpse. <laughs> At any point, you know, given today, it's just, no, you're you're absolutely right about that. And I think you're 100% right. Days Gone does that so good in terms of like capturing those little relationship things throughout mm -hmm. the whole game. It really is incredible. Yeah, because it just feels more real than like that over the top like, but I love you. But where it's very, it's just more realistic. That's why I'd say I think it really does capture yeah. all of that. 
Uh, we have the turning point, I feel like, in their relationship when the Ripper attack happens. Addie has, the Ripper has a, a knife up to her throat, and there's mm. Deacon and Ricky, like, trying to figure out, oh, God, how do we save Addie? And, you know, in that moment, it's like, well, that Ripper is, is probably just going to kill her. Like, there's no way, they can't save her. That's like, what I thought was going to happen. I thought for sure dead. she was done. So yeah. I, I think that might be a turning point in their relationship. And we kind of get, after that, it becomes a little, like, Ricky seems to be more committed to Addie and she's not, like, chasing Deacon anymore. And, and obviously, you know, Deacon goes and finds Sarah. So I feel like that's the turning point where it becomes more platonic between Ricky and Deacon. And maybe mm -hmm. she gets a little more serious about Addie. And realizes that because yeah. like Addie has been worried like about I could lose you because you got into the shit, and now suddenly Ricky is on the receiving end of that. She could lose Addie if anyone comes into the camp and holds a knife to her throat. No, you're absolutely right. That that that's exactly what I thought too. The the second that scene happened, it it she immediately after that um, after that cutscene and everything that happens, she she her stance softens one hundred percent without question and her and Deacon do become more like, and I think like they become more friendly. And I think that um, scene right before Deacon leaves to head um, South where she's getting angry about him leaving at that point, I was convinced it was more because of like a just deep caring for friendship. I think at that point it is platonic for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, or at least that's how I interpreted it when I was playing it. Yeah, I think so. And also like a little bit mad about, uh lost lake like needs you because we're, we're really doing something here and and you're really good at protecting the camp and and like he's an asset so it's like she he just would be the last me. person i'd ever want to lose yeah no i would right. never want to lose someone like that ever yeah. that'd be like the worst case scenario i'd be like do you really have to go mm -hmm. sure maybe stay a little longer we can go together at some point like never please stay <laughs> So we don't get much more of Ricky throughout the game, but she does show up kind of towards the end. You you see her and Addie. There's like a little moment where they, they're I think they're around the campfire or something and like holding hands or whatever or, or um, hugging or something like that. And it kind of has this sort of happy vibe. But I have this theory that the entire end of the game is presented like a happy ending, but is in fact not a happy ending. It's a happy day. It's the end of a good day where they all won in the fight against the militia. Deacon gives his little rousing speech. Everyone goes back to Lost Lake. You know, it's like, it's all cool, but they they didn't defeat the hordes. You know, Lost Lake and all the camps are no different, really. You know, the Freakers are still out there. Sure, you've got Sarah back, but they're not riding north. You know, that's not the plan anymore. Um, Iron Mike is dead. So what's going to happen with Lost Lake? Schizo's gone, but some of Schizo's goons, are they still there? Is there still kind of like dissent in the ranks? We don't, we don't really know. I don't, I'm speculating a lot, but it kind of feels to me like there are so many unanswered questions. I worry about the future for them. What do you think? What's your Yeah, I, I, I actually think you said it best when you said it's a happy day. Not so much a happy ending. I 100% agree with that. I felt the same way, and I'd have to agree with your theory, 100%. There's a there's a lot. It's like you get it like on that high, 
when you, you know, beat the game and you reunite, defeat the Colonel and the militia and it's all good. And you get that wonderful ending scene with the song by Louis Capaldi and mm-hmm. all is well. And then, you know, you, then you do a couple of the other missions um, after the game. And yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I've answered a lot of them, but <laughs> there, there's you could go down the rabbit hole for hours, which I did. There's so many, especially like how many Rippers are still around. Are the Rippers that are left going to maybe form a different faction? Mm-hmm. Are there loyalists left to the Colonel within Wizard Island? You know, mm-hmm. what in God's name is going on with Copeland? There's just... Don't then you the, got the O'Brien... The anarchists as well. Because the, the yeah, anarchists the anar- are well, mentioned early yeah. on, and then it's like, oh, but they're gone. And then, oh, but they've come back. And then you take out a few of them, and it's like, oh, so are they back? Are they gone? Like, what? Uh, what's happening? For a, for a split second in the game, <clears throat> I actually thought that was going to become, like, a massive storyline. Because when he starts mentioning, like, oh, I thought we got rid of all of them. And he's like, no, they're back. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to become like a huge thing and and it didn't. So like, you know, whether they're the anarchists or someone else, same people, different name and like the sequel or if that was a thing, like there's, there's just so many different avenues to go down. That's And that's like what excites me the most, like the character development going further and God, it's it seems, <laughs> It sets up so many, so many questions that obviously leave it open to a sequel. May I ask about your sequel and kind of some of the ideas that you came up with? Like, what is what is your sequel focused on? What's the story and, and kind of what is the, the main gist of it? If you want to talk about it, if it's okay. Uh, no, I would love to talk about it. I just, I don't know how much detail I want to give right away. I would say the the sequel is about, it's just really heavy. It, it's kind of, it's a complete, complete it's it's completely the opposite of what you get um at the ending of the first game okay um i had this idea in my head like that like i feel like i 100 percent agree with you where i think at the end of the game you have the happy day slash ending but happy day and i have to imagine there would be like a small honeymoon period right mm-hmm. with everyone kind of being back together again and um I just think a lot would change though quick, right? Because you have to imagine fuel wouldn't be around as plentiful as it had been already. And you're going back between Copeland and the North to like, or the Northern part of the map to like the South where the old militia camp is. And you have to imagine supplies would start running out and what seemed like a good thing at first would turn bad. And I just think, um, Oh, I'm trying. (laughs) I'm trying not to like give away all the details here. Um, I just think, that it's it's just it's really heavy but spoiler alert boozer and sarah aren't gonna die <laughs> maybe not yet at least i promise i won't do to joel <laughs> oh thank god, god. <laughs> <laughs> yes. don't pull a last of us part two. Oh my god whether it was necessary or not <laughs> wait 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 you said boozer and sarah are, are okay but what about deacon you're not gonna kill deacon are you oh no 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 i would never do that but we don't we don't know if well, we don't know if Boozer and Sire okay. They may be, they may not be. It, you know, it depends. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. I don't know exactly how I'm going to release any of this information because part of me wants to like get on the phone with Ben Studio and be like, listen, when, if and when you do, you know, decide this thing, just listen to me before you do anything, please. Like, not not like listen to me like I'm in charge. Like, I mean, like just <laughs> read what I wrote. Just that's all. Just like, don't have to suggestion. use it. Just, like, this just read cool. it. That's all I want. Just read it. 
Have you thought about doing it as like a, a book or, or a um, series I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I've actually thought more recently about writing it in a book form. Like because, an unofficial sequel to Days Gone. That could yeah, be kind of cool. Yeah. I'd read that. Something like that. Yeah, no, totally. Because the detail is just like, you know, it's 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 really deep, as you can imagine. And I was like, I, I've been doing a lot of writing on it. And it just it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's just, I'm not the kind of person to like be flashy or brag about anything I do. But like, I'll be like in the car listening to, you know, uh, my iPod and like some of the songs from the soundtrack will come on and it'll get me thinking about like some of the things I wrote for the sequel. And I just like the hair stands up on the back of my neck. Oh, that's like, I also like, I don't think, I don't think the ideas are like specific to me. Like I can imagine like the guys who wrote the first one coming up with, you know, similar or same ideas and being like, it would just absolutely freaking rock my world. Yeah. I mean, there's like you said, there's a lot of clues in the game that you, you build these things from, you're not just coming up with the story whole cloth. Like you're, no, no, you're no, no, looking, no. you're analyzing, you're like, okay, what is this setting up? Where was this intended to go? Because we all know story, you know, just intuitively. We've we've all seen enough movies, TV shows, read enough books, played enough games. We're all exposed to narrative. So you can, mm-hmm. using logic, deduce where a story is supposed to go. Um, and that's the sad thing about Days Gone is it does set up those things. And then we don't have the sequel yet hopefully one day knock on wood hopefully one day it happens. Hope, absolutely that no you're 100 right i think that's what was so devastating about it was it's just if you've played the game it's like once you get the o'brien ending you're just like how could you have possibly shelved it after having right. like if the game would have literally ended with you just you know where it ends where oh congratulations you've defeated the, the militia reunited with sarah and all that stuff like that's fine. We could talk all day long. And go well, like we could talk all day long. About, like, oh, I wonder what would happen after that. But then they give you stuff after that yes. with the O'Brien ending, and you're like, if like, why would you do this? Like, <laughs> also, don't forget Lisa. The the little cutscene with Lisa after the credits, where it blatantly sets up her as a potential main character for a sequel, where she is now yes. a drifter. Yes, yes, Lisa is very important. I'll say yeah. that she is very important, and also in the first game. Her, I think her and her and Ricky are two of the biggest reasons I think Deacon doesn't completely go off, you know, the deep end, and also his need to save Boozer. But like Lisa and and Ricky are so important in the game, like grounding him and bringing back like some humanity. Yes, thousand percent. It was incredible. Like, yeah, no, it's it's really incredible. Like that, I love that scene where he finally gets he saves Lisa from the Rippers again, and then they end up meeting with Ricky. That was an incredible scene. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So Ricky and Lisa, I think, are extremely important in the game and in the context of um, keeping Deacon human. So, yeah, no, Lisa's a big thing. Yeah. Big thing. All right. Any last thoughts on Ricky before we wrap up? Did we cover everything? Um, I think we covered just about everything. She's a she. She was a great character. She was she was one of my favorites. I I loved um when you have to ride back from the uh, militia camp after Captain Corey saves you. And you're kind of doing all those little missions. It's mm-hmm. just like you, her, and Boozer kind of like working as like a, just a brilliant trio. I don't know. It's it's really cool just seeing them all together. And I don't know. She's just kind of, she's just a really good character. Like she's just there when you need her with the right lines and the right stuff. And she just compliments Deacon really well. Her banter with Boozer and all of them is always really good. 
Mm-hmm. Like they just they wrote her they just wrote her brilliantly. She's a great character. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, a few things before we wrap up. Every Tuesday night, you can find me hijacking Spornicus Rex's YouTube channel for a collaborative live stream playthrough of Days Gone. He handles the controls. I discuss the game and try my best to get him to change up his strategy. You can watch live on the Spornicus Rex channel every Tuesday at 6pm Pacific. And if you can't tune in live, the streams are still available to watch afterwards. You can support the Days Gone podcast by leaving a review or giving us a thumbs up. That really helps the algorithm do its thing so more people can find the show. If you have friends who play Days Gone, please let them know about the podcast and maybe give us a share on social media. You can also show your support by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash daysgonepod, where you can throw a little money in the tip jar if you're feeling generous. That really helps me with the overhead costs of running the show. I want to give a big shout out to Dean, who bought me three coffees this week. Thank you so much. And also to a mystery person who also bought me three coffees. I don't know who you are, but thank you so much for helping support the podcast. I appreciate you guys so much. Well, Dan, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for doing this deep dive into Ricky with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolutely great time. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out.